Prepare to unlock your potential and conquer the business realm with Boss Uncaged. Join S.A. Grant, a seasoned entrepreneur, digital marketing expert, and branding specialist as he delves into exclusive interviews, strategies, and success stories from founders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives. Guiding you from overcoming challenges to dominating diverse media platforms, Boss Uncaged is your ultimate source for business and entrepreneurial insights. Subscribe, like, and share now to elevate your business game where the spirit of the uncaged boss runs free. Meet the visionary behind the Boss Uncaged Educational Network and Omnimedia, the one and only boss beast, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So today we have Ken. And Ken and I, I think we met through LinkedIn. We had some offline calls. I love his energy. I love his synergy and his background in sales. And you know, whoever I'm interviewing, I like to give them a particular nickname. So in this case, I'm going to name Ken the top sales boss, because obviously that's what he specializes in. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I want you to kind of just open up and tell the audience a little bit more about you. And what would you like to talk about today? Well, you know, I'd like to talk about how, how to help people you know, really scale their business and, and some of the things that I find, you know, might help them move the needle. But I've been doing sales for over 30 years. You know, I, I was uh, in a few different sales roles for 21 years. And then my company was being acquired in 2006, the company I worked for, we were doing performance contracting services, energy service performance contracting. Mm. And I, because of you know where I was in my life, I was a single parent and I was commuting to an office that was an hour and a half away. And I just decided I was gonna buy a business. So I started looking around and the only thing that really made sense to me was, was leveraging my success and helping other people. Really, really resonated. So I, I bought a sales training franchise, 2006. And I worked that till 2013. And I, that's when I started my brand, Our Sales Coach. And so I've been doing this for 17 years and really been involved in a lot of really exciting different types of businesses. We work a lot now with manufacturing companies and some tech companies and and it's really a lot of fun. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think part of that, part of who you are, I've done some due diligence and I looked up the etymology of your last name, right? And come to find out like your last name suits you so well that the etymology of that means circuit or to complete a circuit, the circle or circumference lap cycle, which kind of goes hand in hand with like mechanical engineering, which is what you went to school for. And the fact that you're into sales right now in that particular market sector. So I want you to kind of like talk about like the early days, like were you raised in a family that were full of entrepreneurs? Were they like more blue collar workers? Like where are you getting like this savvy sales entrepreneurial spirit from? Definitely not blue collar. My, both of my parents have PhDs. Okay. And so education was really important in my family. My father was born in China. He came over when he was 17. And his parents, my grandparents, who I never met, were Advent Christians. And so he had the opportunity to come and get a scholarship when he was 17 years old, but could barely speak English, had about 30 bucks with him and, and got a PhD in five years in physics. And when I was his age, when he came over here, it was, we, we didn't have the, the exposure that kids these days have to different vocational opportunities and, you know, internships and the different classes that they get exposed to. It was like math, science, English history, you know, and, and so, you know, my dad said, go get an, an engineering degree. So that's what I did. And, you know, I, I got an engineering degree and back then when I, when I graduated, I got the sales jobs that I got because I had an engineering degree today. It's different. You know, they almost, they don't almost don't want you to have an engineering degree because, you know, engineering personalities really don't mesh with sales mm -hmm. rejection and prospecting and, and persistence. It's just, you know, Engineers tend to be more like CPAs or lawyers. They're conservative and they're analytical. And, and so, you know, I was an engineer for five years and I really saw 
some trends happening in the power industry, deregulation in particular, and also environmental trends. And this was back when George Bush Sr. passed was the first one to pass the Clean Air Act. And that was that was pretty revolutionary back then. So I followed both of those trends through my career. And I've been fortunate to be able to do that, to recognize trends and then take advantage of those things. But I got a sales job after five years of being an engineer, and I'm like, huh, wow, this sales stuff's easy. And now I know why I don't like really, I really like the engineering. It didn't really suit me, you know? <laughs> I like being out, meeting people, being influential, and helping people. And, and it really catered a lot more to my drivers, by what motivates me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you brought up a couple of different things that we can kind of unpack. So going back to post-graduation, let's say five years after 1985, you had an opportunity and you worked with Boston Gas Company. So I want you right. to kind of talk about like, how did that help you and mold you to become more of what you are right now in sales? And again, I'm just trying to lay the breadcrumbs to kind of give the historical facts to where you were to where you are right now. Yeah. So in engineering, I was working on design and power plants at combustion. It's at, I, I did work at combustion engineering. I worked at Sona Webster. We were designing and building power plants and they started deregulating the electric industry. So, it, you know, in Massachusetts, where I'm from, we were sort of pioneers. So was California. And the regulators said, look, you know, if you're going to build a new generating station, you've got to prove that not somebody else could do it independently, more economically for the ratepayers." And you come to find out they could. And so they were building these combined cycle power plants all over the place and they were natural gas fired. So it was a huge opportunity for us to sell gas into a marketplace. And it was year round. It was it was summertime gas where, where it was cheaper because we were predominantly a winter peaking utility. And so then I formed a, a team of three engineers that worked for me. And they were out selling other applications that use gas in the summertime, like natural gas vehicles and uh, gas-fired air conditioning systems and inside the fence cogen systems. And so we were out there, you know, running promotional programs and working with cus- our customers to put those kinds of systems in. <clears throat> and uh, then I got recruited by York International, who was selling the gas air conditioning equipment. And and so then from there, I got into performance, the energy service performance contracting business. So, I mean, earlier on, you said that your, your dad originally came from Asia and, you know, traditionally kind of having that Asian descent and he's, a, you know, into physics and he has like a, a high degree in that. What was that conversation like sitting down with your dad saying, hey, I wanted to transition from being more so in the engineering space, which, which is more relative to his physics? moving into sales what did that look like yeah well he didn't really that didn't bother him at all you know he just wanted he was happy i was being successful you know and and the things i was working on were you know really leading edge and and innovative and you know i was and i was doing well and so that he was happy for that you know and and you know he's he's he was a really focused person anyway, you know, and he just, he worked till he was 81 and did some real groundbreaking things. And like, for example, every airplane that you fly in, it, it uses a gyroscope of some sort to, for guidance. He, he developed that technology at Bell Labs. He, you know, he developed when the ozone hole became an issue, he worked for NASA and developed the modulator that was able to interpret the data that they were getting from lasers to try to figure out how big that hole was. You know, that's the kind of stuff he did. And and he just so focused on that, that he and I didn't really have a lot of conversations about my career. Hmm. And it's just the kind of person he was. I think it would be safe to say he's watching from the outside in and, and probably being very proud of what you were doing. And I think like this first part of this conversation kind of leads me to a point to a video that I've seen of you that you were talking about always ask questions and you want to ask more fact finding questions. And essentially, that's that's what I did leading into this to kind of lead to this moment. I want you to kind of talk about how important and relative is it to not only do more listening than talking, but actually asking the right questions to those Consumers. Yeah, it, you know, that's a real big part of what I teach 
my clients. And, you know, it, it really first, it starts with understanding where do you really add value to mm -hmm. whom with what you're doing, whatever you're doing, it has to add value. But, you know, it's hard for people to really understand how is that perceived from the standpoint of the person you're trying to bring in as a customer, you know, because we look at things through our own, our own view. And, and it's hard for people to really understand, to, to really understand, okay, how is this really built? What is their filter, not my filter? And, and so, you know, I, I find, you know, let's just take manufacturers. Like I said, if you're a contract manufacturer, they are getting business from a lot of different types of applications. And so it's, it could, it tends to be hard for them to really understand where's my best opportunity right now. Okay. And then understand, okay, how am I going to make sure I'm penetrating that market to the, to the best of my ability? And then you figure out, okay, what is my marketing plan? What is my prospecting plan? And what do I really need to do to be able to grow at the rate that I expect or even beyond that? Okay. And then once, and, and how do I differentiate what I offer? And this, this is why I come back to the value part. It, so how do I really understand the value I provide to them and can actually get people to see that in a way that it differentiates me from my competition? Because usually my clients are in competitive, mature markets where there's a plenty of people who can, can do what they do. And then what I teach them, this, this is where I'm coming around to the listening and the asking. Your sales process needs to be able to verify that. And even when you can't, e even when it, you're spot on, selling really is asking really good questions so that the person that you're interacting with actually concludes mm -hmm. that what you have to offer is the best solution for the problems that they have. Mm -hmm. So that through that process, asking the right questions because you spot on really on what you suspect is, is on their mind, then they conclude themselves that not only are you a fit to help them with a problem, but they, they should do something. They must do something. They, there's, there's too, too much, uh, there are too many consequences to not taking action and that you're the best fit. Mm -hmm. And so what you do is you do that through listening and, through asking the right questions and and listening attentively. Hmm. So that, that kind of leads me into buyer perception. I mean, obviously you're talking about presenting them with, with the core benefits of what you do so that they know that, that they should hire you versus you trying to sell to them. They know that you are a requirement. Where does buyer perception play into that? Well, that's, what it's, that's the only thing that's important, isn't it? Hmm. Right? Because the, the buyer is the one who needs to make the decision. Okay. And salespeople, you know, when, when you first start in sales, you, f you feel like you need to present what you have and the unique features and benefits. And then they'll automatically conclude that, that they need to buy it. Mm -hmm. But selling, telling is not selling. Okay. And pe when you show up and throw up like that, then you actually, even if you have unique things that are that are significantly different from your competitors, they can't, they don't discern that difference. You sound, you look, you act just like everybody else. Okay. So that that again, it gets back to really understanding who where are your best opportunities and what is what is going to resonate with them in a in a in a valuable way, okay, then asking questions about it. Because when you ask questions about it, you determine, yes, okay, I was, I was right. Or, you know, yes, that's, that is something they're concerned about. But where the real issue is, is over here. Okay. Then you, you continue with that conversation and they themselves conclude through that interaction. Yeah. I need to do something. And yes, this is the right decision for me to make. 
it, it doesn't matter what you think as a salesperson. Mm-hmm. The only important thing is what they think and what they perceive. I mean, I think I think that's a hell of a philosophy. I mean, considering that you're talking about sales reps that are, you know, they're trying to market, promote and sell a particular service or product to the person that can make the decisions at that company. But, you know, with sales individuals, like the learning curve could be significant based upon that person's background. So I want you to talk about your training style, more and particularly about your drip training methods. Yeah, well, again, like it starts, first of all, with with. What's your strategy? And, you know, okay, strategy can mean a lot of things to different people, right? So, but, but what I mean is, who is it that is, where is your best opportunity mm-hmm. right now? Okay. So I'll give you an example. I have a client that manufactures diffusers and grills. Okay. So they you know, 70% of their business is mechanical contractors. They're putting in an HVA system. They need diffusers and grills. You probably are looking at some in your, in your room you're in now, right? That where the heat and the air conditioning comes out. And so they sell those through distribution companies, okay? Well, where's their best opportunity? Right now, okay, hospitals. Because during COVID, they changed all the guidelines for ventilation in in operating rooms, okay? Number two, pharmaceutical, right? Pharmaceutical companies, they're building out, they're they're constantly expanding and developing new things. And clean rooms, it's all done in clean rooms. Chip chip manufacturing, you know, you may have heard there's a chip back and we had some serious, well, there was a, you know, the light bulb went on how exposed we are through COVID in where the, you know, getting all the chips from Taiwan and China. Okay. So there's a lot of fab shop again in clean rooms. Okay. Now here's the thing, the, their distributors aren't the ones that are actually tied into the hospital market. So now they are making new relationships, new distribution partnerships with and and that is a distribution you know that that's how they should go to market because there's hospitals all over the country right so they need to sell through distribution partnerships right but the clean rooms there's only a few companies that do that okay so now i'm working with their sales rep in a direct sales approach and they're establishing relationships with these these key companies that that build these clean rooms and come to find out both of those markets, the people that are buying the, the systems and putting them in, what the, the product they want is different. So they're now innovating and developing new products that set them apart. So there's things that they can do with their product that maybe only one other manufacturer can do. And it's really makes a big difference for their customer. Okay, so once you really think about, okay, where is my best opportunity? Now you can determine, all right, how how are we going to develop, get to this market? What is what what are our our marketing channels? What are our prospecting channels? And what is the product that they're going to sell? Then you determine what resources you need. Okay, usually people are like, oh, geez, you know, we need more sales. I'm going to go hire a salesperson and give them a phone. Well, where's the strat? You know, how do you know you got the right person? You're you're putting them in the right roles. You're asking them to do the right activities. If you haven't thought through first the market and then the go-to-market strategy, and then what are the activities they need to do to be successful? And so that's the next step: is what is the prospecting channels that are going to get their meetings, and then what is that messaging? That will get the attention of the decision maker. And that's where the differentiation comes in. Got it. So then we can figure out what are the activities that they must do to be successful and what's the formula? How much of that activity in multiple channels for them to get the right amount of meetings? Uh-huh. Then we work on the sales process so that they are asking the right questions when they're engaged, they're in a meeting with a potential customer who is there to determine, do they want to buy it? Okay. The alternative is they're out there trying to pitch to people to get that meeting. And, you know, people don't want to be sold to. They, they want to buy. They want someone to help them buy. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's really our approach is starting with the market assessment, the unique selling proposition, your prospecting plan, which includes the channels and the formula, and then the sales process that helps them to close more deals and shorten the sales cycle. 
So, I mean, the variables are the things that you guys are working with kind of falls into the lean canvas. Are you familiar with the lean canvas? Like you have the value proposition, unfair advantage, customer segments, channels of communication and so forth. So it seems like you're building upon that. What other business models are you working with inside of like your sales systems? Well, I'm not really sure what you mean by models, but what comes to my mind is how are they tracking what they need to track? and getting the data that they need to really understand how efficient they are with their time. Mm. Is that kind of what you mean? Or do you? Partially, partially. I mean, like, like the prime example, like is marketing, there's marketing systems, right? So there's sales, oh. there's sales systems and, and, and yeah. then business, there's business systems. And based upon what you just said, it kind of falls into like the lean canvas business model. So it seems like you have some elements of that. I was just wondering, are there any other particular models whether it's marketing models, whether it's sales models or business models that you're integrating into your current system right now? Well, I mean, I have a sales process that basically, you know, it's value-led selling process. <laughs> and it really is all that I just described, that process that I help my clients through. Other than that, they are, are sales tools that are essential. And, you know, it, if sometimes my clients aren't even using a CRM, and if they are using a CRM, you know, a contact relationship management system software, and if they're not, well, then they're not as efficient as they sh could be with their time. And most of the time when they are even using one, they're not really utilizing it to get the data out to really understand how efficient their salespeople are. Yeah. Okay. You know, and, and it's, you know, people don't, always think this through and it just boggles my mind that these software companies developing these products don't make it automatically that you're able to calculate the ratios you need because sales performance is measured in ratios mm. right there's what's your average average customer value mm. it's a simple ratio right like what's what how many what is your revenue and how many deals did you close you know dollars per sale okay what's your close rate how many deals, how many deals did you close and how many proposals did you put out? Okay. Meetings to meetings to close ratio, right? So how many first meetings on new opportunities do you need to have in order to close a deal? Then your salesperson knows how many meetings they need to have and they can focus on doing that, right? What's your lead conversion? It's all in ratios and they don't automatically set these things up so you can calculate that. You have to, you know, you have to figure out how to, you know, integrate that your your software and to be able to do that. I just don't understand why they get automatic. But anyway, yeah. And uh and now, you know, with with sales automation, marketing automation, and you know, artificial intelligence tools, there are ways that can help you with nurturing leads and making sure you're not wasting time with people who just aren't ready. Okay. And so, you know, there's just a plethora of, of different types of tools like that. And so, you know, helping, helping them to really select what do they really need and how are they going to use it and how is it going to help them become more efficient? Mm. Because really, as salespeople, there's two things that really are our intellectual property. Number mm. one, our contacts, our relationships. Number two, our time, how you spend in your time. And when people are just, you know, throwing out proposals after proposals and closing like 20% or less, they're wasting a lot of time. Mm -hmm. I think that it kind of leads us to a quote in your intro chapter of your book. And I think you had said something along the lines of the willingness to compromise is the willingness to be mediocre. So I want you to kind of talk about that because I mean, obviously in, in sales, there's top sales. That's why I'm calling you the top sales boss. And then there's obviously other salespeople, like more entry-level sales. Where does this quote fall into the equation as far as becoming a great salesperson? Yeah. And, and I think it's not really, a, well, I mean, if you're a salesperson, this does apply to you. You know, I'm thinking more in, in, in terms of the sales leader, because, you know, a business owner, let's say, you know, you, you go out and you hire salespeople. And, you know, you look across any sales team and you know there's going to be a variety of results. Some of it's related to the experience they have. 
Okay. But a lot of it also is, relates to their, their personality, right? But the, you know, the, what ends up happening is they just accept the fact that they're not going to get the same results from everybody. And it's probably true, but they also ex accept the fact that if somebody is not really performing up to their ability, that's, that's just the way it is. They accept that. Okay. Instead of setting people up the right way to be successful. Okay. And it got, again, it goes back to what, did they really plan a strategy so that they know where their opportunity is and then what activities need to happen in order for them to penetrate that market and to increase market share where the best opportunities are? Is it with existing customers? I, I, I was with uh, a, uh, prospective customer yesterday where they have some existing customers where they have, you know, maybe a 10x opportunity to grow business with them, but they, to meet their goals, they need to bring in new ones like that. Okay. And, you know, with, with the size of their sales team, that's something they really need to think about is should how much time should they spend with existing customers versus going out and trying to get new ones because they need to do both and when you look at that what are the activities that need to happen in order for them to be successful in doing that and then they insert the right person in the right role okay and instead you know they just put somebody in a sales role and not without really thinking about number 1 are they, are we really well defined in what activities we expect them to do? And then are we tracking things the right way? Like I defined before to determine is that formula really playing out the way we expected it to, or do we need to make adjustments? And not until you do that, have the strategy and have the tracking and assessment and, and we evaluate it, look at it weekly and evaluate it monthly. You're not really. You can't say I've done everything I can to make sure that each individual on my team is performing at the best of their ability. So I think with everything that we said so far, I want to kind of pull it back to something that you had said earlier about sales people in general dealing with rejection. And I want you to kind of talk to a story to when you had to deal with like the worst case scenario of rejection and you figured out a way to overcome it. And obviously anyone that has a business or been an entrepreneur has dealt with some level of rejection. Some rejection have been, you know, polite and some rejection has been, you know, damn right ugly. So I want you to kind of talk about like your worst experience and how did you overcome that? Oh gosh. You know, reject sales is, is wrought with rejection. Mm -hmm. I mean, just today, my salesperson, you know, we had a meeting scheduled for this afternoon and the person sends an email saying, hey, sorry, we're pulling back. We're reorganizing and I, I just can't spend any money on this and call me and said in the summer. OK, that's that's a no. <laughs> that's rejection. You know, yeah. it does it feel good. No, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I, I have a funny story that there was. I'm not going to tell you who it was, but you know, there's always, if you go out to a networking event, there's always going to be financial planners there, right? There are a dime and a dozen. And, you know, there, and so there's, there's wirehouses, which are the big, huge, like insurance companies, and they just bring people in in droves and they, and, you know, and then there's the broker dealers where they spend more time trying to help their people be more successful. And they provide the back office for them. And then there's registered investment advisors. They're the independent. Okay. And I've worked with all of them, but there's a, there was a wirehouse, you know, where they just recruit, 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 and people are floundering. So I'm like, and in the Boston area was one of the biggest offices. So I, I, you know, in networking, there was somebody who I know had been there a while. And I said, Hey, listen, if I'm going to call these guys, who do I want to talk to? So he says, well, you'll never make a number one guy. Call the number two guy. So I call the number two guy and I go, hi, this is Ken Chio from our sales coach. Click. So, wow, I got cut off. So I called him up again. I said, hi, this is Ken Chio from our sales coach. We got cut off. No, I hung up on you. Click. <laughs> I love that story. It's, you know, and he just, they're just spending so much time 
recruiting people, training people. These people, when they come in, they put them in four full days of training. So they got one day to go out and try to be successful. And I like, I feel guilty, like, you know, just suggesting that I take more of their time. Right. But they just come out and they're floundering and it just, it's crazy. But you know, the, the hard ones are the ones that you really, you really think that you're excited about helping them. You can see, you can see the pathway to success and they, whatever reason they go to a competitor or they just can't get their head straight that it's the right thing to do. And, you know, those are the harder ones, but the point is, you know, I ask my, my clients, you know, how many of you believe you're going to close every deal that you come across? Mm. Obviously nobody raises their hand, right? Now the point to bringing that up is everybody needs to get no's. You've got to get no's. And how many no's do you need to get? Okay. So for me, when I was prospecting in, you know, high level prospecting, so referrals and networking, and I do speaking and the things that I did before I started to really do more direct outreach, cold outreach, which we do now, it would take me two and a half first meetings to close a deal. Okay. So when I got two no's, I'm excited, right? I'm excited because I'm going to get one right? Get the nose faster. Now that we're doing more cold outreach, it's more like four. So I got to get four first meetings to get it. And I, I know how many meetings I have, I need to get, right? And so when I, well, I'm at my fourth no, life's good. Enjoy those no's. Just know how many you need to get and get them faster. Because the faster you get no's, the faster you're going to get a yes. Makes sense. If you let it get to you and you stop prospecting because you got four no's, you're, you're, well, the only, either, either you're not going to be successful or it's going to take you long. Got it. Got it. So let's just time travel back to 2005. I mean, obviously that's when you, you sold one company and then you acquired the training franchise. I want you to kind of like talk about that. Cause I mean, obviously most people, they probably will sell a company and then they may want to go into investments. They may not want to actually start a new company, but not only did you start a new company, but you went and acquired one. What was the process like and why did you go into a training franchise of all the things that you can pick up and purchase? Yeah. Well, first of all, it wasn't my company. I was the salesperson for this company and we were being acquired by a competitor and, and I decided I wanted to start a business because of where I was in my life. And, and I just started looking at all different types of businesses and I, I hired a, a franchise broker mm. and he put me in front of a franchise opportunity and I bought it. I bought the franchise because I didn't really want to with, and again, you know, this whole concept of my using, leveraging my experience to help other people really resonated with me. And I didn't want to have to create that I because I'm a salesperson. I, so the, the franchise really re- resonated with me because I had material already that I could immediately implement. And there's a go-to-market strategy and other people that already have been successful doing it. Okay. So I could immediately go to market. And that's what I did. And... And so I worked at for, you know, a good 13 years and then seven years and then it started my own business. So, you know, earlier on, we talked about your dad and talked about your upbringing and then you alluded to, you know, being like a single parent. How have you been able to juggle and manage that being that you were a single parent at, at, at given time? during your lifespan and also running companies or working for someone and then obviously buying a franchise. How did that work for you? Yeah. Well, you need to have help. You need, you need, you need help. And you know, one of the things of owning your own business, you can make your own schedule and you know, the sales actually is you have more independence in sales than you do in, in most careers. But when you own your own business, you you're master of your own destiny. And and so I was able to work from home and I, even though I had an office and I kept on moving to bigger offices, but I needed a place to train people. And 
so it it was helpful for me and then you know i was i i went to the the woman that lived across the street from me and i mentioned you know i i'm looking for somebody like a, a high school kid that can come after school and watch my my son do you know anybody and she said i'll do it <laughs> and I'm like wow and so the bus stop was right in front of her house and she would pick him up from the bus stop. And then when I got home, I would just go across the street and pick him up. And it was, it was such a blessing. It was that, you know, she was available for that way, you know, and, you know, you go to a daycare place and he, I was using daycare before that, but you know, if you don't, you got to show up at six o'clock, yeah. you gotta, you can't be late. And, and so with her, I had a lot more flexibility. So, I mean, being that, that, that was the early days and now I would think that your son is, is a lot older than that right now. What has he received or gotten from you considering that he's been through this journey with you, at least by your side, or at least seeing you progress over the years? That's a great question. Yeah. So he's 30 now. Okay. So he's completely on his own. And he actually went to Berkeley College of Music for sing, to be a rock singer. That was his dream. He wanted to be the next Steven Tyler. And, and he had a band all through high school and they were awesome. They all went to Berkeley and, you know, he, he decided, you know, this is, he was like the only one that was really hustling in the band to get all the gigs. He's the only one to know how to use the equipment, set it up. And he just got tired of it. And so he went out and got a retail job. So now he works for O'Reilly Auto Parts and he manages auto parts stores and, you know, is, is responsible for the profit and loss of the area he's at. And, you know, so he's really good at, he's really good at it. He's a good manager. He's good at training kit, training people. And it's, it's not easy, you know, because in retail, you're dealing with people who start off at, you know, really low wages and, and you've got to be inspirational to, to help them to see through that and, and, and like their job. And, mm. you know, I mean, I think it's interesting that your son is 30, right. And obviously I think in the next 20 years, where do you see your business? I mean, you're building it up. Obviously you're building it with, with probably legacy in mind. Would it be, fruitful to say that maybe down the road your son could take it in the next 20 years or where do you see that company going 20 years from now roughly that yeah no i never really thought of that not really i think he likes what he's doing i do have employees though that would like to see succession through them so you know i i have a salesperson that you know it, it does some admin stuff but pr pretty much spends most of her time selling and then I have two trainers. They're independent contractors right now, but I think they would both like to, you know, continue. And one of them is an ex Dale Carnegie guy who was, he's in LA and he was Roland Gilbert. He was, he had an opportunity to really buy the LA franchise because the person, I don't know what happened to whoever had it and he just couldn't make the numbers work. But so that he's a, a possibility. And then I have another gentleman, uh, Dave Fionda, mm -hmm. who he's, he does some teaching at a Bentley College. It's a business school here in Boston. And then had, it just started with me last year. And both, both do a great job, people. Mm -hmm. So there, you know, I, I could see that happening perhaps. And, you know, it's funny because I learned from that experience, that was my vision really was I was going to get this thing going. I would, you know, then bring in two people that would be mini meets. Mm -hmm. Okay. That would be getting customers and doing the training and coaching. And I realized, and so I got, I got somebody who was pretty, you know, he was okay at sales, but he, it wasn't, it wasn't that good at a training. Mm -hmm. You know, people, you know, I'd say, well, how'd it go? And they'd like, well, they're not you, Ken. I'm like, oh, that's not what I want to hear, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then there was somebody else who could bring some business in, but he wasn't, but I mean, they, that that actually was, you know, a pretty good trainer, but he just couldn't bring the business in. So now I have somebody that can do the sales and I have some people that can do the training mm -hmm. and it's much better. Mm -hmm. 
So it seems like you definitely strategize with, with delegation and kind of re- referencing back to your book. And this is like a book related question. In your book, I think in the bibliography, you had made a point to point out influence, the, the psychology of persuasion. So I yeah. want you to kind of talk about that book or any other book that you would want to recommend to a listener in addition to your book that can kind of help them progress and move forward with great sales. Yeah, Cialdini, that's just a classic. And he, he talks about, I don't know what there's, there maybe eight influences. Scarcity is one. You know, when you think about, I don't know if you might be too young to remember Tickle Me Elmo or Cabbage Patch Kids. You know, there's always that one toy in, in the, or it seemed to be in the, in the winter time where, I mean, in, in Christmas time that, that people can't get, there's just not enough of them. And then it turns people into animals. They're like, <laughs> like, so, you know, being, you know, very ruthless, but when you can't get something that is motivational to people mm. and then social proof, you know, I always tell my clients, you know, you need to, you, you need to think about what, where, a story of of a client that where you had good success in a in a, a situation similar to the person you're talking to when you're in a sales meeting, and because social proof is very powerful and reciprocation. You know, when I when I teach people how to get referrals, you know, I teach them that, you know that that's how referrals happen, and people don't really realize it that you know in, in any business. You need not even just sales. You need to go beyond expectations to create customer loyalty, right? Just doing, showing up and providing a quality product on time in a professional manager manner is not customer loyalty. That's what people expect. Mm-hmm. So if you're going above and beyond and taking the opportunity to show your customers that you really do what you do because you you have their best interest in mind. You actually have invoked that influence. They actually would want to help you because they know what you're doing for them. And all you need to do is tap into them. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, the reciprocation is a powerful influence. So that's a, that's a great book. <clears throat> let's see what else. I'm reading a, it's, a, it's, a, it's in the other room, but bullet, bulletproof market. Bulletproof marketing. Go ahead and pull that up. Bullseye. Gotcha. Yeah, bullseye marketing is. I know Louis Louis Godema is a friend of mine, and great book, filled with with ideas. And you know, so I recommend that. It's a great book. So let's see. I'm looking on the shelf. I don't know. There's. I like. I like Daniel Pink. I think he writes some good books. Oh, this is the book I use, Success Principles, Jack Canfield. So basically my book, these are the two that I use, okay? And before I wrote this, I would give people PDFs, and so I gave them a binder to put all that information in. And then I used this book, which is out of print, Common Sense Selling, and then the 12-week year. This is a great book. So I have stuff in my book that replaces that, but this is a great book. The concept is, look, when your year is 12 months and January doesn't go the way you expect, there's always February, right? First quarter is not, not up to par. There's always second quarter. But when your year is 12 weeks, every day counts. Mm-hmm. So there's four 13-week segments in a year, calendar year. So Make your year 12 weeks. Figure out what go- what are your goals for the next 12 weeks. Chunk it down. And that's always the key to goal setting is what are the activities that you need to do to get there? Mm-hmm. You have to do that because once you've done that, now you have things that you can keep yourself accountable for. And then just track it. Did I do them? Every week, I tell everybody, plan your week. You got to plan your week. You cannot be efficient with your time unless you plan your week every week. And when you do that, grade yourself. How many of these activities did I do? And then you, when you're planning your week, you can set yourself up to do more. Mm. Very simple concept. So that's a good book. 
I think something that you brought up earlier that I want to circle back to when we were talking about influence was was scarcity. And in today's world, you know, we're dealing with a digital economy. So the reality of a digital product, there's really no scarcity. So from a sales standpoint, obviously you can do open and, and, and close sales and say, hey, we're not going to let you buy until a particular later date. And you start building like waiting lists. But what other methods are usually used in, in sales, especially for like large ticket items, considering digital products? There is no scarcity. Yeah. You know, I, well, first of all, you need to really understand their business. And I, if you, the more you are niched down or, you know, focused where your best opportunities are, either it's in an industry classification or what people need to buy and who needs that you know, you can be more relevant and really understand what is typically top of mind. And then, you know, one of the things that I find is common, commonly a challenge is getting to really getting to the decision maker Mm -hmm. and, and also getting other influential people involved in the decision, you know, and, getting in front of them to really get their input. Okay. And it ties into this, this referral, whole referral thing. So, you know, you, you need to understand what's important to the person that you're talking to. And when you are, you you are uncovering what their pains are and the consequences to not fixing it, That's their motivation to introduce you to other people that you need to talk to. And so when you find that you aren't really talking to the decision maker, then you have to really be executing on that and finding out, okay, what, what's your pain? How's this affecting you personally? Okay. So and so has not, is going to have some important input into this, won't they? The answer is always yes. No, they haven't been part of this conversation we've had. Shouldn't we give them that opportunity? And, you know, you you need to be really perceptive and and to utilize, you know, the the relationships you're building, the trust you're building with the people you are talking to and make sure you get to the other people important. And that when you do that, you find that <clears throat> people make decisions faster. Mm-hmm. And you might also might find that you get connected to people at a higher level, which helps you to actually, you know, your first sale might be a bigger deal than you ordinarily would have gotten. Mm-hmm. And it's easier for you at that level to branch out and cross sell into more areas within that organization. So I'm going to put you in, in a scenario based upon those principles, right? And I think what we talked about as far as being a top sales boss, you're potentially like working with leaders in sales. So let's say this individual is a new leader stepping into this this role and they're overseeing, you know, a, a pretty decent sized sales team. What words of wisdom would you have for that individual through your training methods to help them to be more successful with their team and their, you know, sales and results? Yeah, that's a great question. Again, you, you need to be you need to be using the data. And it's just so common that salespeople view using the CRM as a a nuisance or I'm doing this because my boss wants me to do it. And, you know, they don't realize that nobody really explains to them how doing that is going to help them to understand how efficient they are. Okay. So sometimes leaders make the mistake of promoting the, a really good salesperson into a, a management role. Uh-huh. And these are people who just want to be out there playing the game and winning. And so they may not have the patience to be wanting to or able to spend time gathering data and massaging the data to really understand where they need to help their team members. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And it's just not, it's like fingernails on the blackboard for them. That's not the right person to be a manager. And, but you know, if, if you are aspiring to be a manager, you've got to, you got to set yourself up to get the data that you need and you've got to use it. You've got to, you know, look at it weekly and make adjustments monthly as a minimal. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. But again, again, it goes back to understanding the marketplace and the players, the decision makers that are in that market so that you have at least an initial you know, understanding of what might be top of mind for the person that your team members need to talk to. Okay. So that otherwise you won't, you won't be able to get their attention. And when you do get their attention, you need to be crystal clear about what they might view as different from what they're doing now and what your competitors are saying, because otherwise they may not pay attention. And, and so you need to help your team members with that and, and then make sure that you have a sales process that enables them to ask the right questions when they do get those meetings, okay? And they are practiced at it, so it becomes habit. Mm-hmm. And then they can be they can really practice attentive listening, mm-hmm. okay? And rather than, you know, we as humans, <clears throat> we don't have the ability to really listen all the way through a conversation without really being interrupted by, oh, that reminds me of, or, okay, how am I going to respond to this? Now you stop listening. Okay. Mm-hmm. People don't listen all the way through. But if you are really practiced with the sales process, then you are now able to, to be more attentive and, and then you can listen and use the answers, the questions, the conversation that, that the other person is, is giving you to guide the conversation and your questions. And what you say. I think it's definitely interesting. So with, with you saying that, right, that kind of leads into like your, your training philosophies and your training program. How does this lead sales rep get in contact with you? If they're listening right now and they're loving what you're saying, not only do you have a book, but you also have access to training. Where do you like to send them? Yeah, well, you can, you can uh, link up with me on LinkedIn. My, my LinkedIn URL is Ken Chio, C-H-E-O. Or uh, just send me an email, K-C-H-E-O at OurSalesCoach.com. Or just go to our website, OurSalesCoach, O-U-R, SalesCoach.com. And there's ways to get a hold of me there. Cool. So plenty of ways. And, you know, if if you would like a book, copy of my book, I will, the first five people that contact me and just say that they've, they, uh, they were at attended this podcast. First five people that say they'd you know, like a copy of the book, just make sure that they they mention the Boss Uncaged podcast. I'll send I'll send them a book. Great, great. So for the listener, I would definitely take him up on that offer. I mean, I think obviously he's a hell of a salesperson. He's been in the game a long, long, long time. So going into like a two part question as far as closing, and the first part is just kind of more of a relaxed question. And it's a standardized question that I usually ask. But for you, I think it's going to be interesting considering that you you have like the science background, but you, you love sales. If you had an opportunity to spend 24 hours with anyone, and this person could be someone that you've never met, someone from from the past that was that died before you were even born, who would that person ideally be for you and why? Wow. Oh, geez. Who would I want to spend 24 hours with? <clears throat> hmm. That's a good question. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I guess there's a lot of really good business people that I, I guess I wouldn't I have to think about that. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure I have an answer for that. I, I got it. Got it. So like this, just switch that question up then. Let's go into what is your greatest achievement to date, considering that, you know, you, you've been part of acquisitions, you've been a great salesperson, like to you, what, what so far has been your pinnacle point of your career? Okay. Well, that's interesting too. I would say, you know, uh, I, I have 
small wins, you know, on a regular basis. And so, you know, for example, you know, I've, I've got a client that was the vice president of, of sales for Americas for an Australian water jet cutting equipment manufacturer. And, you know, he grew his sales, he doubled, pretty much doubled. And, and so they made him the America's president. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when things like that happen, you know, that's, that's success for me. And now he's, he's brought in a regional uh, salesperson uh, because they sell primarily through distribution companies. And, and that person's now working more closely with the distribution companies in from the Midwest to the West Coast and continuing to grow the business. And then they were bought. The company was bought by an Italian company. And, and so they're, you know, when, when things like that happen, that's success for me. Very interesting. So going into closing, I'd like to give whoever I'm interviewing an opportunity to become the host of Boston Cage. So now Boston Cage is your show. I'm your guest. You're the host. Do you have any questions for me? Yeah. I, so I guess, how do you, how do you leverage a podcast? And, and what is that? What's, what are some advice, some advice you can give me leveraging podcasts? Cause I do a lot of these things and. I don't really. Yeah, I would say like podcasting is better than group networking in a sense. Not to say that it should replace it. It could definitely work together. But think of it like you and I are in this conversation for about an hour. I know way more about you than a standard person coming in cold on a five minute call because I had to do my due diligence. We talked, you answered and we went back and forth. It's kind of like a fact finding situation. So for you, if you're doing all these podcasts, you're essentially collecting the data points from all these different podcasters. And then either you could leverage them directly or you can then leverage their network because they're interviewing more people like you that may need your service. So figuring out with those podcasters, how could they become more JV partners to then point you in the right direction to their past guests? Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I usually just, you know, I post it on LinkedIn and, you know, I respond to some people and, you know, then it, it, it's not really, doesn't have a lot of legs, you know, to it. And, you know, so I've always thought there's probably more I could be doing that, you know, to, to take advantage of, of that opportunity, but yeah, I think it goes back to your, your statement earlier about follow-up. I think it goes back to follow-up and asking the right questions. If you're going to follow up with a podcaster, it's not just about when your podcast is going to get released. It's then saying to that podcaster, Hey, do you or have you interviewed anyone in this particular sector within the last two years that that you mind connecting me to? That's 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 the opening gateway right there. Because now, if you're talking to an individual that has interviewed maybe a hundred people, out of those hundred people, let's say ten people are your ideal avatars, then they, you kind of have a more of a warm market or a hot conversion versus trying to find that person cold. Because now you have the middleman as the podcaster making that connection between both parties for you. Yeah. Okay. Sure. From the sales yeah. standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Appreciate it. Anytime. Any other questions? No, I'm good. Cool. Cool. Well, I definitely appreciate you today. I think we definitely deep dived into the sales and the philosophy. I think you definitely dropped a lot of different nuggets. I think an individual that's watching this podcast, this is an episode that, you know, you have to kind of rewind and, and take action on what you've learned and what you heard. It's not one of those things that you can kind of just sit down, consume one time and then get results. So with that, I definitely appreciate you being here and I look forward to following you and staying connected to you. Yeah, myself too. I really appreciate the opportunity. Great. With that, S.A. Grant. Over and out. Thank you for tuning in to another empowering episode of Boss Uncaged, where we've explored the ins and outs of entrepreneurship, harnessed the power of digital marketing, and embraced the journey of building impactful brands. As we wrap up this episode, I want to express my deepest gratitude to our incredible guests, listeners, and the entire Boss Uncaged community. Your dedication to unlocking your potential and conquering the business realm has made this podcast a dynamic hub of inspiration and knowledge. Throughout the Boss Uncaged journey, we've delved into exclusive interviews, shared strategies, and celebrated success stories from founders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives. 
It's been a roller coaster of insights, lessons, and triumphs, and I hope you found valuable takeaways to apply in your own entrepreneurial endeavors. Whether we've tackled challenges together, explored the vast landscape of diverse media platforms, or uncovered the secrets to dominating in business, your commitment to the Boss Uncaged spirit has been truly inspiring. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, like leave a positive five-star review and share the Boss Uncaged podcast to continue elevating the business game. The Boss Spirit runs free and we're always ready to amplify your entrepreneurial journey with extra resources at bossuncaged.com. Before we sign off, remember that Boss Uncaged is more than just a podcast. It's the heartbeat of the Boss Uncaged educational network and omni-media. It's a vision brought to life by the Uncaged boss in all of us. Thank you for being part of this incredible ride. Stay hungry, stay focused, and keep conquering the business realm. Subscribe, like, and share now to keep the Boss Uncaged spirit alive.